0: Part three of Sonnets on Anglo-Saxon History by Anne Hawkshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sonnets twenty to twenty nine. twenty Almost every monastery had its own historiographer or historian whose business, or at least whose general practice it was, to copy the history of preceding times from those who were already known to have written them with success, and to continue the narrative during his own times in his own words to the best of his ability preface to the saxon chronicle bones antiquarian library the chronicler in massive chair of oak wood rudely made sits a grey-headed monk whose placid face of time or passion shows but little trace safe in that old secluded convent shade THE WORLD'S ROUGH CONFLICT TO HIS MIND DISPLAYED SEEMS MORE A SHIFTING PICTURE THAN A THING OF LIFE REALITY. ITS VOICES RING, BUT AS AN ECHO BY THE BREEZES STAYED. YET HATH THAT STILL OLD MAN A KINDLY HEART, LOVING ALL GENTLE THINGS, FROM BIRD AND CHILD TO TREE AND FLOWER, AND NOW HE SITS APART, FROM MONKISH TATTLE IN THE SUNSHINE MILD, NOTING THE RECORDS OF HIS TIMES aside he puts his vellum page with conscious pride Twenty-one, the place of bedes birth is said by himself to have been in the territory afterwards given by king Egfrid to benedict bishop abbot of the united monasteries of wearmouth and jarrow this abbot who had formerly been a thane was unwearied in the pursuit of knowledge and in ameliorating the condition of his country He travelled four or five times to Rome, and brought to England not only literature, but arts till then unknown. He was the first who brought masons and glaziers home with him, having need of them for the noble buildings which he erected. With this great and good man, Bede was placed when he was seven years old, and at Wearmouth and at Jarrow he passed the rest of his life. The Venerable Bede one once by thy ruined but time-honoured cell in years gone by i stood i thought not then for i was but a child that ever pen of mine should write thy name or mine eyes dwell in interest on thy antique page yet well hath memory kept that picture the mossed stones in the dull churchyard e'en the north wind's tones as from the distant past seem round me still to swell a book like thine is a most precious thing by mind bequeathed to mind. It hath outlived thousands, that much of fame and wealth could bring for a brief space. For he who wrote, believed, ay, and believing words, whate'er they be, have on them stamped an immortality. 22. On almost every occasion, Bede gives the name and designation of his informant, being anxious, apparently, to show that nothing is inserted, for which he had not the testimony of some respectable witness. The author received secondary evidence with caution. Statements received through a succession of informants are always pointed out with scrupulous exactness whatever opinion he may entertain, as in the case of some visions and miracles, of the credibility of the facts themselves. Preface to Beat History Published by the English Historical Society, 1838. The Venerable Bede, two. We call them childish fables that he tells. They are to us, they were not so to him. The howl of demons, or the angel's hymn heard in the lonely vigil, and the hells of fire and frost where the dark spirit dwells, were things at which men shuddered and grew pale, for they believed untutored hearts must quail though they against the thraldom still rebel, forgetting mid-life's duties their dark creed. And softly nature's voices still are heard in that old history, and the heroic deed, the patient suffering, or the truthful word. Thy hand did write, old monk, thy heart did feel, and it is these that do thyself reveal. 23. He passed the day joyfully until the evening, and the boy above mentioned, a youth to whom he was dictating his translation of the Gospel of John, said to him, Dear Master, there is one sentence not written. He answered, Write quickly. Soon after the boy said, The sentence is now written. He replied, It is well you have said the truth. It is ended. Receive my head into your hands, for it is a great satisfaction to me to sit facing my holy place, where I was wont to pray that I may also sitting call upon my father. And thus, on the pavement of his little cell, he breathed his last. Cuthbert's Letter on the Death of Bede He died on the 26th May, 735. The Death of Bede three, Simple and saintly as the history is told in Holy Writ, is one upon the page of Saxon story, in a darksome age it cometh like a whisper from that old and distant world of what it did enfold of pure and gentle things and cheers the heart apt to grow sad when looking on one part of that stern age and men of titan mould i would not add one line to that old tale fresh from a loving heart it hath a power all foreign words would render poor and stale a portion of the pass unreckoned dower bequeath it to the future for this age writes few such stories on her tinsel page Twenty-four, the emperor charlemagne cruelly persecuted the pagan saxons in germany to compel them to adopt the christian faith many of them fled to jutland and became pirates harassing for many years the coasts of france and britain they ever manifested a peculiar animosity against the priests and destroyed the churches and monasteries they first landed in england in seven hundred and eighty seven the northmen sprung from a saxon stock by bigot zeal forced from their homes they sought the baltic shore where they might still their ancient gods adore strange error to convert with fire and steel and by the body's death the soul to heal. The Anglo-Saxon heard Augustine's voice. Death or religion was the Germans' choice. They chose the first, or saw their homes no more. Fierce and revengeful o'er the waves they sweep, the wild sea-kings of many a northern tale, and in their hearts a deadly hatred keep to Christian priests and creeds where'er they sail and thus for ever it will be through time. Truth is too holy to be helped by crime. 25. A.D. 870 The same winter King Edmund fought against them, and the Danes got the victory and slew the king, and subdued all the land, and destroyed all the minsters they came to. At that same time they came to Mead's Hampstead, Peterborough, and burned and beat it down, slew abbots and monks and all that they found there, and that place which before was full rich they reduced to nothing. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Destruction of the Abbey of Peterborough by the Northmen The music of the Vesper hymn had died in the hushed woodlands, and o'er vale and hill the evening mist-clouds rested cold and still. THE WOOD FIRE BLAZED WITHIN THE CHIMNEY WIDE, SHEDDING ITS LIGHT AFAR, A welcome GUIDE IT OFT HAD BEEN TO WEARY SURF, WHEN DAY CLOSED O'ER HIS STEPS, TONIGHT, UPON ITS WAY, IT LEADS A HOST THAT TEARS AND FORCE DEFIED. THE SUN AROSE TO SHINE ON BLACKENED WALLS, AND ECHO ANSWERED BACK, HIS STEPS, WHO TROD, THE ONE SURVIVOR THROUGH THOSE SILENT HALLS seeking beside the altar of their god his slaughtered brethren who had perished there, unarmed and patient by their shrine of prayer. 26. One of the greatest boons that Christianity gave to the poor Saxon serf was the enjoyment of the Sabbath. The master who compelled his serf to work for him on that day could be obliged to give him his freedom. Polgrave's History of the Anglo-Saxons undercurrents. But silently beneath this noise and strife worked countless energies of heart and head, and men, the glooms of time have overspread, nor left a single annal of their life. Who tells what savage shaped from o'er the knife? Toil for the good of man, but ask not fame. Ages may bless thy work, not know thy name. No good, once done, time in the dust can tread. The marshes drained, the yellow harvest waves, where the lone heron watched the lazy stream. Wood-lighted hearths were there, flower-sprinkled graves, and love and hope, twas life and not a dream, and that blessed gift to wearied man from heaven came to the toil-worn surf, one day of rest in seven. 27. A large portion of the Anglo-Saxon population was in slavery during their pagan state, but after the diffusion of Christianity, a regard for its benevolent precepts, affection for those who had formed part of their households, and sometimes superstition, as in the case where two slaves are freed for the good of an abbot's soul, caused emancipation to proceed rapidly. As serfs were allowed to accumulate property, they often redeemed themselves and their families the serf master and slave strange words are those to hear among a family of brethren named within a world a father's goodness framed harsh mid its harmonies upon the ear they fall conjuring up every shape of fear that haunts the oppressor or the oppressed's path pride avarice cruelty revenge and wrath all that from misery rings the bitterest tear all that brings into human hearts the blight of selfishness, before whose poisonous breath love's flowers droop withering, and day fades to night, and the great gift of life turns to a death. War's hurricane sweeps past, but while we sleep, slavery's dark vapours poisonous they creep. 28. The form used in liberating a serf was simple and striking. Giving him a shield and a spear, they placed him on the highway and bid him go wherever he pleased, to the right hand or to the left. A law passed by the great Alfred and Witnagamot contributed much to lessen the number of the servile class. It was enacted that no one could buy a Christian slave for more than six years. On the seventh he should depart free without payment, and with the wife and clothes he had at first. The Serf Freed Be free, they said, and placed within his hand the shield and spear, and bid him choose his way. And the serf stood a freeman from that day, with right to feel an interest in the land, with right to call his own that household band, his wife and children, and to feel he trod with brothers the great universe of God, A slave he did but there an atom stand. Proud souls that were chafed beneath the yoke. Mild hearts that pined in hopelessness away. Fierce spirits that the galling thraldom broke. And minds that meanest passions made their sway. Yet one dark circle fettered all. One doom. Life without progress. Death without the tomb. 29. In 721, Ina, after a prosperous reign of 37 years, resigned the crown and with his queen went to live in Rome. He there founded a Saxon school for the instruction of his countrymen. Ina and his queen, after their retirement, lived in humble seclusion. He often laboured with his own hands for their support. He published a collection of laws in the early part of his reign, which still exist. Ina died at Rome ina resigning his crown did he do well and wisely who resigned for a monk's cowl the monarch's jewelled crown and from a throne to humblest life came down if to avoid the thorns within it twined is the best motive for the deed we find not saint but coward is the name to give he who for others good refused to live but yet no fear of toil could daunt the mind methinks of that old chief No. Deep within the darkened mind, there is a want of God, a longing for the pure, a sense of sin, a loathing of the guilty path once trod. Then to some unknown goal, it wildly springs, thinking sin mixed with all familiar things. End of part three.